Hello, my wonderful friends. Welcome to Faith FM Drive Time. Welcome to Big Q&A. This is the show where we respond to difficult questions concerning God and faith, contemporary religion and the Bible. Uh, This is the show where we look at world religious trends in the light of Bible prophecy. I'm Pastor Gary. I'm minister to the Brighton Seventh-day Adventist Church in the beautiful city of Adelaide. I'm also your Drive Time host every Tuesday and Wednesday. Wednesday. It is really wonderful uh, to be able to share with you. Uh, look, folks, uh, if uh, if you're having trouble picking us up, why don't you download our app? Uh, we got a fantastic little app. All you've got to do is go to your app store. Uh, you can pick up uh, your app, uh, that app by uh, just sim- searching for uh, Faith FM Australia. Uh, download the app, then you'll get perfect reception everywhere you go. Fantastic little app I recommended to you. Now look folks, this week we're following the theme the Bible, the church and the environment. Now uh, this theme commenced actually last week uh, when we asked whose responsibility is the environment? And uh, then we moved on to looking at, well, how does the, the Bible explain the increase in natural disasters? And we looked last week, we noticed how the world is waxing old like a garment. It's working its way uh, to a climax. Uh, yesterday, we asked the question, um, why won't green political uh, solutions Work and uh, we saw that there was a major problem with the whole nature of humanity. Today we're looking at ten environmental commandments that have just been released by an ecumenical group over in London. You'll love uh, this uh, this particular discussion. Uh, now, look to guide us through our discussion this week. We're actually uh, uh, joined today by a regular Wednesday co-host, and of course, that's Pastor David Butcher. Uh, and David is the lead pastor of the Seventh Day Adventist Church uh, right here in South Oz. Welcome to you, David. Good afternoon, Gary, and uh, hello, listeners. It is wonderful to have you uh, have you on board. You have just got back from a uh, a minister's. I've had to do extra work. I'll have you. Do. I hope I get to see see something additional in my pay packet as a result. I had to stay behind on Monday and, and sit here uh, because all my assistants on Monday uh, they all disappeared on me. You earned an honest wage this last week then, did you? (laughs) No, look, Gary, yes, uh, you're correct. We've uh, just come back from a a minister's retreat uh, where our team was away at like a youth camp uh, on the edges of the Murray River in front of um, some really beautiful, and you know the place really well, really beautiful cliffs. Yeah, yeah. And uh, normally this is a place of um, beautiful lawns and and the river's beautiful. Normally, um, you know, this time of year onwards uh, through till the end of April, you'd be water skiing or kayaking or swimming. Not now. Not now, no. Uh, As uh, many of our listeners know on the East Coast, uh, New South Wales, Victoria, the Murray River is flooding and other tributaries and other river systems and uh, inundating towns. And there are a number in, in uh, outback New South Wales now in particular, aren't there? There are. Uh, there Forbes are. and other areas that are just um, being inundated by water. And when I think of floods, Gary, I think of um, 
large and huge waves of water. Mm. In fact, one of these dams in um, New South Wales, I was reading, uh, is releasing every 48 hours enough water from this dam is, is going over that would drain the Sydney Harbour. Wow. 48 hours. Wow. So two days, that amount of water that would drain the Sydney Harbour. Now, that's coming down the river system. And so when I think of floods, I think of walls of water and uh, rapidly rising. Mm. But I've never seen a situation, and I know many of our listeners would have, but I've never seen a situation where uh, floodwaters on the Murray River and, and our, our, our camp is, a youth camp is right on the river. Yeah, yeah. And this particular flood is, and it's got a particular name, I believe, but the water is rising slowly and, um, we're getting, um, from the authorities, we're getting estimates of how many gigalitres uh, will flow down the river and at different points, and we're in South Australia in the Riverland. And um, it's just interesting... At the moment, things look fine, although some things are already submerged, but there is no tidal wave of water. But the water, but the, the camp itself, of course, has got a, a lovely a green bank uh, in, in front of it. And uh, I understand the water starting to, to cover that uh, that green bank. Yeah, look, we've got a, a pontoon there for speedboats and for people to dive off of, etc. Uh, and, and there is just beautiful grassed area and some timber f- uh, frontage there that you can walk along. That's all submerged. Um, we have a caretaker's house, which is sort of elevated and beneath it a garage and the garage already has water in it, and uh, it's expected, uh, depending on, on on the uh, predictions, but uh, by uh, by mid December, by late December, um, a number of our buildings could be underwater there. That's when we have uh, our junior and teen camps at that time. It is, and so we're hastily <laughs> looking to find another location where we can host them. But the thing that hit me, Gary, is, yeah, I, when a flood happens, I'm thinking it's going to come unexpectedly and it's going to nab you by surprise. And in one sense, we know it's going to flood and we've got predictions as well as everyone along the Murray uh, of when it will likely happen and how quickly the water's flowing and you can anticipate if uh, this number of gigalitres a day comes down, this is where the water level will come to. But it hasn't come there yet. And so you have this false sense of everything looks okay, yep. although the green grass is uh, receding. It's not receding, but the water is increasing, and so there's less grass. Yeah. And yeah. as it comes up, but very slowly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, maybe it's a little bit like uh, Jesus' is coming. We sort of, um, uh, I guess we know it's going to happen, but maybe we're not ready for it, even though we're told about it, yeah. because things still look okay. Yeah, 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 and and just that slow increase. You can see it. It's like our world right now. You know, you can see the changes taking place, but it's happening so, in some ways, slowly uh, that you actually. It's very easy to actually miss it. It is, and and to sort of not realise the urgency. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No, very true. David, look, let's come where our time is, is getting away from us. Uh, let's come to our uh, uh, our world watch today. Now, I love this particular one. I really love this article. It was actually uh, in Premier Christian News. Now, Premier Christian News is one of the major world sites, uh, world uh, religious news sites that is based over there in the UK. And uh, when I saw this uh, this one, I do actually uh, follow it. Uh, most days in uh, in preparation for this program, and uh, uh, one of the uh, the article was entitled "Pastor is criticised for dressing too sexy 
for the church service. Now, I, I, I sort of thought, hey, this is, this is something that we just, just have to chat about on this, uh, on this program. And this is what the article said. A pastor in the US has been criticized by a member of his congregation for dressing too sexy for a church service. The congregant at Embrace Church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, wrote a letter to lead pastor calling him disgusting and morally wrong for his outfit choice. Do you really think it's appropriate to wear skinny jeans to preach? The handwritten note said. Uh, Since when do men wear skinny leg jeans? Uh, Where is uh, your common sense? Uh, Speaking to the mirror... Pastor Adam admitted he was initially taken back by the anonymous letter. I get letters like this a few times a year. Sometimes uh, I I get where the person is coming from. But when I started reading this, I wasn't sure if it was one of my buddies joking uh, with me uh, or something else was going on. I laughed when the person uh, wrote, uh, since uh, when do men uh, wear skinny jeans? I was wondering if they were calling me out because skinny jeans are no longer in style. I have about three different pairs of jeans, and they're all skinny jeans. My attire is actually very limited, he said. When he finished reading it, I became sad and heartbroken for the person who had written it, he said. Pastor Adam also posted the letter on his Instagram to encourage people not to walk away from Jesus because of uh, people. He said, I'm not posting this to be passive-aggressive towards this anonymous person who sent it to me uh, or for anyone to feel sorry for me, only to encourage you. Please don't walk away from Jesus uh, because of people. Uh, and now, as I as I read this one, I, I you know there were so many questions that actually just started uh, to float uh, float through my mind. Now, I suppose, David, you know, I mean. Um, um, in my ministry, I've actually seen, I have to admit, I've seen huge changes happen in this whole area of, of Christian dress. Now, I remember a, a person who actually sat in a, a chair similar to, to, to yours, uh, when I was, this was before I was ordained. So this is, you know, close to 40 years ago. Many decades ago. Many decades ago. He, he actually called all the unordained guys into the room and uh, he talked to them about the importance of, uh, of wearing a tie. Uh, when, for example, you went and did did visits, and then he he, he took brought it even a broader brushstroke uh, because there was one of our guys that most of us did wear ties. Um, this uh, this particular intern, however, he was wearing red ties. Uh, so he actually had uh, the, the 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 lead pastor, the president of the uh, of that particular conference where I was working at the time. Uh, he he shared with us how important it was that we wear uh, ties of an appropriate colour, and that red was not appropriate. <laughs> and we all knew exactly who it was that he was uh, he was actually talking to. Now you know, as I look at this, I sort of say, hey, you know, today, however, um, you know, I mean, uh, certainly a ties are. Not standard attire, uh, certainly for, for things like visitation, hospital visitation. You know, it, it's rare that, uh, uh, certainly, you know, uh, pastors will come, uh, in a, 
in a tie on visitation. I think most of them will certainly wear a, at least a tie for, for, for preaching. Uh, but David, look, this whole issue to me, uh, I'm sure it's going to stir up some discussion amongst our, amongst our people. But look, how would you react, I suppose, to this article? You know, is there an appropriate dress standard for pastors? Uh, what about an appropriate dress standard for those who are attending church on a regular basis. And I suppose another issue that comes to mind is, does dressing up become a block for new fellowship seekers? You know, are there any biblical principles? Help us out on this one. Yeah, look, thanks, Pastor Gary. Um, and I'm wondering, this could be something that our listeners could um, uh, text in, couldn't they? Should there be a dress code for pastors? Now, that would be, that would be interesting, actually. 04-888-808-11. If you'd like to just uh, comment on that, I'd love to have your feedback. Should 04- there be a... Go, 04 888 David, give 04-888-8-8-11. us the... 04 80811. Should there be a dress code for pastors when they preach? Look, Gary, I know in, in my ministry, I, I tend to normally wear a tie when I preach. Not always a jacket, particularly if it's warm. And I remember, um, uh, probably about 10 years into my ministry, I was new at a particular country church, um, in northwest Victoria. In fact, this was just over the Murray River in New South Wales. And, um, it was a very hot day and, uh, no air conditioning in the church. And, um, and I got approached, I was, I would say, I won't say accosted, but I got approached before, uh, the service, uh, by a lady that said, I hear you're our new pastor. And she said, uh, and you're not wearing a tie. And I said, you, you've, you've seen rightly, I'm not wearing a tie. And, and I said to her, I said, listen, would you rather me f- be able to preach or would you, and, and be in a level of comfort or not preach well and wear a tie? I said, you judge me by, by what I preach rather than what I wear. Now, I was wearing a, you know, a suit pants and a shirt, but no jacket or a tie. Normally I do wear a tie unless it's extreme. Um, but, uh, I think there needs to be balance. I mean, certainly if, if you're in various cultural groups, there will be different expectations. Yeah, and I know yeah. I've gone to preach at one church and I'd forgotten my jacket at home. And um, I got there, it was about a 20-minute drive, and I was encouraged to go back home to get a jacket. Yeah. And that was the cultural group, so that's okay. But um, in one sense, um, I believe as, as ministers we set an example. Mm. Uh, and we need to be mindful of what we wear so as not to um, not to put other people off. Now, someone will be put off irrespective, but we need to not be there to be seen to be the centrepiece, whether that is by, you know, dressing in, in the latest fashion sense, so to speak. Mm. By the same token, I think it's important that we don't underdress but as you mentioned we are living in a society now where even world leaders you know you see people at these summits and they're just wearing an open neck shirt with a jacket yeah 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 our society has actually changed a great deal hasn't it and and to me as i look at uh, uh i look at that I, I turn around and i say hey you know i mean would the would the styles of the you know 40 years ago when i started ministries in uh in uh, in the 1980s uh would, would that be appropriate today well no actually it wouldn't mm. You know, That's right. have things changed? Uh, yes, they have. Have they all changed for the better? Well, no, they haven't. Um, but have they, have some things become uh, a, a little, uh, a little Too casual, a little bit 
you know, that they have, and I think there's an element of respect as well that, um, you know, I, I think as a religious leader, you are trying to be able to work with all sorts of people at varying um, levels of experience and understanding, and you want to be able to connect with them and don't want your dress to be an inhibiting factor, either being completely overdressed or underdressed, if you like. Mm, mm. But I think it's important, you know, we're coming before God. Um, we need to make sure that uh, I believe that we're dressing, and the Bible has something to say about this, mm. in, in a modest fashion. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's the important thing. I mean, uh, Timothy, it's interesting that even Timothy in his era, uh, he, he also commented on this. You know, I find, uh, 1 Timothy 2, uh, verse 9, in like manner also. And of course, it's, uh, speaking here, uh, to women, but men are certainly, uh, just as, uh, just as yeah, included true. in this, in this group, uh, that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation. Not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing. You know, to me, this is actually so, this is saying something to us. To me, not just to, to to pastors, but certainly to pastors. But it's also saying something to you know to those who have come to Christ. You know, to to dress with moderate. You know, to me, that is almost countercultural in many ways today, isn't it? It is, it is. And, and look, this is Paul to a young minister, and you, you gave a story of it yourself. <laughs> and then, of course, I guess we've got First Peter chapter 3, haven't we? Verses 3 and 4. And Paul is talking to women, but as you say, this same um, uh, teaching would apply to men. And he says, Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart, with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. So in one sense, I think, Pastor Gary, our focus, if, if we're called to, to be a, a minister of the gospel, our focus should not be on what we wear or what we do not wear becoming a statement in and of itself. Mm, mm, mm. Is what we're wearing or what we're underwearing, so to speak, is it detracting from the role that we should be doing? Is, is it, mm. are, are we able to uplift the gospel and point people to Christ or will they be distracted by wearing sexy skinny leg jeans, as this article talks about, or, you know, will it go the other way? So I think... Uh, the word of God should do the talking, yeah. and we need to be mindful as as presenters of the gospel, as ambassadors of Christ, that we don't detract from what God would have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, very, very powerful. Uh, look, David. Uh, look, let's come to some music. This is uh, Michael W. Smith, "Ancient Words," uh, beautiful, uh, fantastic rendition.
that was Michael W. Smith and the uh, uh, the song Ancient uh, Ancient Words. That is a fantastic. That is a real masterpiece of a uh, of a song. I love it. Uh, really hope you appreciated that uh, that song, folks. Look, we do have a uh, a giveaway uh, for you uh, this week. Our giveaway this week is uh, is the book Hope for a Helpless Planet. Uh, this is uh, by Chris Chris Holland, uh, and it answers the question: Is Jesus coming really soon? It's an age-old question, but seldom has the need for an accurate answer been more keenly felt than it is today. Uh, guys, look, this book really does actually deal with, with this issue of where is our planet actually going to right now? Uh, are we still going to be here in generations' time, uh, or is something else? Does the Scripture speak of a, a different climax uh, for planet Earth? Uh, now, look, uh, this uh, book deals with that subject. If you if you would want answers to that question, and this is the book that uh, you need to pick up. If you'd like to share this book uh, with maybe somebody in your family, if you'd like to read it for your devotional time, uh, this is the book you need to pick up. Uh, guys, look, if you'd like your own copy of Hope uh, for a Helpless Planet, then all you need to do is to text us here. Our drive time text number is 04 808 808 80811. And all you need to do is to, uh, text us, uh, today's, uh, today's code. Now our, uh, our code, uh, today is, uh, SA81. SA81. No gap between the SA and the 81. Uh, all you, uh, need to do is to put SA81, text it to 04888. 80811 uh, and then that'll be picked up by our mate on the our robot uh, his name's Pilgrim and uh, he uh, will ask you a few questions so that we can get this book to you in the fastest possible uh, way uh, you'll you'll really appreciate uh, how efficient uh, Pilgrim uh, really uh, really is uh, so if you'd like that book 04888 80811 and the uh, the code is SA81 uh, love to share this, uh, this book with you. Now you are listening to uh, Faith FM Drive Time, big Q&A with uh, Pastor Gary and today our co-host is Pastor David Butcher and David's the lead pastor of the Seventh-day Adventist Church here in South Oz. Uh, this week we're following the theme, the Bible, the church and the environment and today we're looking at 10 environmental commandments that have just been released by an environmental group in London. Now, this is something that to me, when I, uh, when I read about this, I sort of thought, hey, you, uh, you have to be joking. You know, I, uh, I thought, wow, I mean, uh, this really is, uh, uh, is something. The churches are coming, are coming on board. Uh, and then I, I read an article. This is, uh, comes from Israel Today, which is one of the main newspapers over there in, uh, uh, in Jerusalem. And, uh, the title of the, uh, the article was Israeli Groups uh, organize global interfaith climate repentance event. Well, this certainly picked up my uh, my interest, and uh, this is what the article said: Jews, Christians, Muslims, Hindus, and Buddhists join an Israeli initiative to ask God's forgiveness for harming. His creation. Israel is pres- is presently playing an outside role in the. United Nations COP27 climate conference in Sinai and is now at the center of an initiative to ask heaven's forgiveness for harming the planet. Jews, Muslims, Christians, Hindus, Buddhists 
plan together uh, to gather on Sunday around the world. This is this, just this last Sunday to call for climate repentance and the adoption of 10 climate commandments. Uh, the uh, central events were to take place in Jerusalem, London, the Egyptian resort of Asham el-Sheikh, where the, 20, the COP27 conference is taking place. Organisers had originally wanted to hold the central event at Mount Sinai in a kind of reenactment of the giving of the Ten Commandments. But Egyptian authorities nixed the plan for security reasons. The initiative is the brainchild of three Israeli organisations, the Interfaith Centre for Sustainable Development, the Elijah Interfaith Institute and the uh, Environmental Advocacy Organisation. The ten climate principles they're advocating are these. One, uh, we're stewards of this world. Two, creation manifests divinity. Thirdly, everything in life is interconnected. Four, do no harm. Five, look after tomorrow. Six, rise above ego for our world. Seven, change our inner climate. Eight, repent and return. Nine, every action matters. Ten, use mind and open your heart. Now, David, when I when I read this uh, uh, this particular uh, article, there's another one I want to come to in a moment too, uh, because uh, there was something significant that did actually happen on top of uh, Mount Sinai. We'll come to that in a moment. But look, I'd just love to get your response to start with, if we, if we possibly can, on uh, on one question. Now, this was published in the um, uh, Israeli uh, newspaper. How do you feel about an ec- an ecumenical the ecumenical climate? Um, a climate repentance ceremony uh, through um, multiple churches. Now, the, what the article says here is that Jews, Muslims, Christians, Hindus and Buddhists uh, plan to gather on Sunday ar- um, around the world to call for climate repentance and the adoption of these Ten Commandments. Now, you know, all these groups have come together to pray for at a climate repentance ceremony. Now, David, how would you respond to that? Yeah, very good question, Gary. So calling together people from all faiths, faith leaders for a climate repentance, how do we feel about this joining together of religious leaders that are so divergent on so many other issues? Mm. I guess when I look at the word repentance, it's it's means uh, it comes from a Greek word, metanoio, which means a complete turning around. Mm. Now, how can you have a complete about face, a complete turning around when um, you may have levels of unity on this one issue, but uh, many of those faiths, what what many would call the great faiths of the world, uh, believe in thousands of gods, uh, while others of these faiths, Islam and Judaism and Christianity, believe in one, one God. God. And then between Islam and Christianity, uh, we believe in one God but three persons, and that doesn't uh, doesn't sit well with with the, the Muslim mind. Mm. So you have uh, from uh, from Hindus, you have multiple thousands of, gods. thousands of gods there. Many of them don't even know how many they worship. Yeah, uh, others that believe in karma, reincarnation, all of these things. 
How can you have true repentance is a complete change of heart, a complete turning around. Mm-hmm. And so to come together on one issue where there are still so many differences, um, it doesn't sit well with me. Mm-hmm. Because cause what we've actually got here is repentance to, we're saying, God, but exactly what God are we talking about? Well, the Hindu, and, and this is not putting down the Hindus, which God of their many would they be repenting to? Yeah. Uh, and what about uh, the Jews? What about Christians? What about Buddhists? Which, which God are they all repenting to? It's a really interesting question, this one, because uh, to me, as I look at it, I'm just so conscious that, you know, the, there's issues of, um, there's issue of belief and practice here that are simply not being addressed. They, they don't cohabitate. They cannot coexist, these various religious beliefs, because each of them believe that what they have is truth. And yet, when you compare these different uh, religious um, uh, uh, faiths, they're, 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 what they call as truth is completely divergent in many areas from the other religion, mm. the other faith. Okay, okay, okay. So, so, so to me, I, I'd certainly agree with you there. I, I struggle with this particular uh, issue of having a climate uh, repentance ceremony uh, simply because, uh, to me, the question that comes into my mind is, well, who exactly are we repenting to? I mean, to me, I, I struggle with that. But, hey, uh, I mean... And, and just on that, Gary, there are some faiths, there are some um, believers in the world of various faiths that worship nature itself. Yeah. Yeah. And yet the Christian doesn't worship nature. No. They worship the God of nature. Hey, yeah, yeah. No, and, and that's important because, you know, if in fact we're going to um, repent to nature itself, you're actually being led into a thing called pantheism, which of course, uh, you know, uh, God is everywhere. and. That's exactly right. And then when we come back to the term repentance, true repentance from a Christian biblical perspective can only come about by a complete change of heart, which occurs through the Holy Spirit. Yeah. yeah. Now, a Muslim, when we say we believe that the Holy Spirit is God, what would they say about that? Exactly. And and what we've actually got here, uh, I would suggest, is actually a political act more than a religious, more than a spiritual act. But David, look, I'd love to go somewhere else if I can because uh, there's so much in this particular issue that we could actually talk about. Um, a second article in exactly the same newspaper talked about something that did actually happen on top of Mount Sinai. Now, this is what the article said. Activists smash tablets atop Mount Sinai to launch a faith-based climate push. Um, uh, the group... Uh, so, uh, officials gathered at the uh, at the COP summit. Uh, the uh, those in this group uh, said that uh, people need to do um, more um, and lobby for faster action on climate change. An initiative to mobilise faith leaders worldwide to push governments to do more about climate change kicked off this last Sunday morning with an Israeli environmental activist smashing mock tablets of stone across uh, atop the Egyptian peak uh, believed by many to be Mount Sinai to symbolise the world's failure to protect the planet. The idea 
idea was hatched in the run-up to United Nations COP27 climate conference taking place in the Egyptian resort of Sharm el-Sheikh. Uh, after sunrise, Abrahamowitz and uh, Wapner uh, gathered at the summit together uh, with, a, with another individual, the founder and former director of the US uh, Jewish Environmental Organization, uh, and uh, read sections of the Holy Land's Declaration on Climate Change, signed in 2011 by a multi-faith council of religious leaders of the Holy Land. After the group read from the new draft, from a new draft of 10 principles for climate repentance, we've already just spoken about those, formulated by dozens of multi-faith leaders meeting in London over the past few days, Abrahamowitz uh, smashed two tablets on the ground. The act was symbolic, uh, was a symbolic echo of the Bible's uh, of Moses smashing the Ten Commandments in protest against the Israelites after descending Mount uh, Mount Sinai. Uh, and then uh, this statement was made: "The political leadership of the world has not come through on climate until now." He said, "It's the twenty seventh gathering of world leaders, and things are just getting worse." We're calling on faith leaders to add to the sense of urgency, to have them weigh in, hopefully, forcefully and globally, to push for a reduction by 50% at least of global warming emissions by 2030. Reducing emissions so gradually is immoral uh, at, uh, at this point. Today, as faiths are putting aside their differences in a common call for climate action, we work towards a new covenant for mankind in the name of the protection of our common home and for the betterment of our shared human future. Now, David, as I read this, I, I sort of looked, hey, you know, here we've got uh, uh, religious um, activists calling on religious leaders uh, to come together with the political leaders to advance this cause of uh, environmental um, uh, salvation. Uh, now, David, uh, do you sense any issues with uh, religious organisations pushing a secular political agenda? I mean, I mean, did, how did Christ work? Oh, I don't know. I mean, uh, is there a problem? Do you sense there's a problem with this um, uh, religious leaders, religious people pushing a uh, a secular political agenda? Yes, I do. I think we need to mention, though, first of all, Gary, that as Christians and as Bible-based Christians, any Bible-based Christian should have care and concern for the planet. Yeah, yeah. Uh, We go back to Genesis yeah. 1, 26 and 27, where God put Adam and Eve in charge, if you like, or to be managers of the planet. Yep. Its environment, uh, the trees, the, the flora and fauna, etc., etc. So we should... Um, have a standpoint on this, but I do have an issue when uh, the document you read talked about forcibly pushing an argument together, and I think um, I think it's important that we do not, uh, I guess, join political lobby groups, so to speak, and nor also to be pushing one message. One particular thing, if it's not core to the overall focus of Scripture. Okay, okay. You, you know, David, one of the things that I'm 
uh, I suppose, really stands out at me is that when Christ was here uh, here on earth, um, there were many political causes he could have got involved in. I mean, to me, I, I look at, for example, the issue of slavery. Slavery was rife in the world in which he lived. And yet at no point, we hear Christ speaking about many subjects, but at no point does he delve into that subject, which he could have delved into, of slavery in his big wide world. In fact, the apostles uh, actually uh, um, work with the issue of how can we work with this, they didn't uh, set it up as something that was uh, was uh, that should go on in perpetuity. But rather, what Christ seemed to do was to work at changing the human heart. And when the human heart was changed, what you had was people started to think differently, and then. Things change. For example, you know, you get people thinking differently, and then in England, Sir William Wilberforce comes along, John Newton comes along, and as a result of their Christian influence, slavery is done away with. Um, and that's certainly the right approach, isn't it? I mean, clearly in Scripture, um, Jesus, um, you know, he upheld the role of women. Yeah. He um, talked about doing good to others. He talked about uh, servant leadership. So many of his messages were certainly countercultural, weren't they? Mm. If we look at the mm. Sermon they on were. the Mount, they were. they were very countercultural. But yet Jesus was not leading a political um, uh, message. No. It was no. a spiritual message he was... Uh, you must be born again. Yeah, so that's what he was prosecuting. Now, in that, he was calling for change, but yeah. it was first and foremost, as you've said, it was a change of heart that was required. In other words, once the heart and the mind is changed, then you actually find your society changing. Because if all we're trying to do is to change the externals, uh, without the change of heart, it's like rendering a wall that's full of white ants, or mm. or, or painting over a wall that's full of white ants. It's yeah. it's going to fall apart. It's, uh, and so true, so true. Look, David, I, uh, I, they're just two of the issues, I suppose. You know, this issue of repentance, this issue of uh, you know a political agenda. But I want to just come very briefly to this issue of these Ten Commandments in just a moment. But look, let's come to some music uh, first. Uh, this is a a really a really beautiful uh, uh, song the day approaches uh, please uh, please enjoy uh, this uh, this particular rendition it's incredibly uh, incredibly powerful the day approaches Yeah. 
that is the day approaches. What an, what a beautiful thought. Uh, we, we're not going to be on this planet for generation followed by generation followed by generation. The day is approaching and I love that scriptural message that talks about the day Jesus Christ is going to come. He's going to recreate this, uh, this world. Uh, to me, I look at this and I say, hey, what a powerful message this is uh, to those who are concerned about the environment. Yes, let's care for what we've got, uh, but let's see. Let's work for the change of heart uh, so that people uh, might indeed uh, be ready for the day when Jesus Christ does does come. Folks, we do have a, uh, a fantastic giveaway book for you, Hope for a Helpless Planet. And uh, this is uh, uh, written by Chris. Uh, Chris Holland. Is Jesus really coming soon? You'll love this particular book. If you'd like this book, uh, just text us 04 80811 and the code you'll need is SA81 and uh, our robot will contact you and he'll uh, get this to you in the fastest uh, possible uh, possible way. Now we also do want to say thank you so much to one of our listeners who did actually uh, write in concerning our, our discussion about uh, uh, about dress early in the program. Uh, I think you'll appreciate that, uh, that article and uh, uh, this is what she says. Uh, I'm glad you asked for our opinions uh, on attire. Unfortunately, these in these modern times, dress has become quite a debatable subject, hasn't it? What? Uh, I believe we should wear decent attire, which is not uh, full of lust for the eye. In other words, not tight, body-hugging clothes showing bumps and lumps and doesn't look respectful towards God. I've never been able to tolerate tight clothes on my body anyway. Uh, they are uh, so uh, uncomfortable. We are worshipping our Lord daily, so we should treat our temples with the respect uh, he earned by creating us. Men wearing ties in summer is cruel, I think. I certainly wouldn't cope with that myself. I haven't seen many skinny leg trousers in church. The pastors uh, in my church uh, do work, uh, do um, dress respectfully. Hey, that's, you know, thank you so much for that feedback. Really did uh, appreciate that. But look, let's come back to our subject uh, of the day. Uh, This week we're following the theme, the Bible, the church and the environment. And today we're looking at 10, the 10 environmental commandments that have been released by an environmental group in, in London. Now, David, look, we're running out of time we could go for two hours on this particular subject uh, look uh, bring it together we've got about five or six minutes before our hour is going to be uh, is going to be up but you know these these 10 environmental commandments how would you respond to them yeah look gary uh, to to sort of think that um this is a human problem that humans can solve is wrong do we have a part to play yes but um to sort of seem to suggest that all of the environmental problems, climate change, floods, cyclones, um, all of these sorts of things, droughts, that we can fix and are caused solely by man. Now, many of them have been, right? We've yep, ravaged yep. our forests. Uh, I think just to think that we can rectify these things is wrong mm-hmm. because we know that there is a conflict going on between good and evil. Satan has, has if you like, um, claimed ownership of this world. And he is also ravaging the world. 
And as we saw last week, the world itself is simply growing old like a garment. Like a garment, waxing old like a garment. And so I think um, while we need to care for the environment, it's a biblical imperative right there at the beginning that was given to Adam and Eve. It's also important to not get caught up in, in this sort of political activism because there are potentials that if climate change becomes our main reason for existence or our one focal point, then potentially... Mother Nature can become our God. Yeah, yeah. So we need to look at the whole big picture. Um, and if uh, climate change becomes our God, then Earth becomes our judge. And um, we're judged on um, how we're degrading the planet and all of these sorts of things. And um, global warming then becomes our greatest crime and we want to repent of, of what we're doing to the earth when in actuality we should be repenting to God for our sin against him, yeah. which may include how we treat the planet and the mm, environment. Mm. So I think there is this is focusing on one element which is calling for activism. Mm-hmm. Surely the thing that we should care about the most is the to be activists for the gospel of Jesus Christ mm. without disregarding the environment. I mean, we've got that great imperative in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, the gospel commission, go ye into all the world. Preach, teach, baptize. Exactly. Mm. Now, part of that surely is caring for the planet. Mm. But caring for the planet should not become our soul nor our key focus. So we should be in favour of caring for the environment, but it strikes me as rather odd when saving the earth seems to be a higher priority for Christian leaders than seeking and saving the lost. Now that is a powerful, powerful, powerful statement. Say that again. Yeah, so it, it's it's odd when saving the earth for a Christian leader seems to be of higher priority than seeking and saving the lost. Because the commission that we were given by Jesus Christ was go and preach, teach, baptize. As a result of that occurring, what happens is the Holy Spirit comes in, changes the heart and the mind. My attitude towards external things uh, does change and I'm able to better care for my planet. And this is true. So when the environment becomes more important than saving the lost, when we look at what the Bible says about the ultimate state of the environment and what will happen, we might be uh, quite disappointed because Revelation 7.3 says, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. So there is a time coming when the environment as we know it will, will be in complete disarray. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up, says Peter in Second Peter 3.2. Mm-hmm. So we're told in, in the New Testament and the Old, in the Old, it says, Behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth, Isaiah sixty five seventeen. So human beings are of infinitely greater worth than the environment. The environment is important, mm-hmm. but we, and we need to do what we can to... But um, human beings are of much greater worth than... All else that's out exactly, there. Exactly, because ultimately we cannot save the planet. The yeah. scripture tells us what's going to happen. It's going to burn. Yeah. Now, yeah. we shouldn't try and bring that on. Yes. We yes. shouldn't try and speed that up. Yes. But ultimately, what's the point of caring for the environment to the, to the extent that it takes the place of caring for human beings, their, their eternal salvation? 
Yeah, yeah. I, I think that the point that you make there, David, I think is incredibly powerful. It's in, uh, it's so, um, uh, it's so to the point of what's actually occurring today. I mean, right now we are hearing from, you know, the COP27. We're just hearing, uh, just, uh, just continually, you know, the things that we need to be doing in order to save the earth. We've really laid on a humanity an impossible objective. We have. And Jesus cared for the planet when he came, right? But he didn't come to do away with climate change. Yeah. He didn't come to, to stop floods or to, uh, to stop droughts or, or starvation. They were important to him, and I'm sure they break his heart. Yeah. But he came to seek and save that which was lost. That's humanity. Wow, wow. And so, Gary, um, as I look at this and as I think about um, some of the statements used in these documents we've been reading about a new covenant mm. uh, of, of uh, ten climate principles, it reminds us of the Ten Commandments, ten messages that God wrote with his own finger in stone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's almost like a, 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 a copy, if you like, of what humanity is trying to do in the environment. When we try and take one aspect of the Ten Commandments and – and push that onto climate change. And that's change. what we've done with the environment. Yeah. We, we could say that the, the commandment of coveting, thou shalt not covet, well, that addresses the environment, as yeah. does the fourth commandment, resting on the Sabbath. Yeah. But you can't take one, you take the entire package of God's ten. Yeah. yeah. They're holistic. Yeah. And so just focusing on the environment and repenting because of what we've done to the environment is very shallow when we should be repenting for what we've done to our Creator God. Amen, amen, amen. Look, guys, let's pray together. Father in heaven, Lord, I come to you right now. I want to say thank you for being our Lord and our God. Lord, thank you for being the Creator. Thank you for being the Recreator. Thank you for sending us the gift of the Holy Spirit spirit and thank you for giving us uh, your word. Uh, Lord I pray that you might uh, so challenge and change our minds that indeed uh, we we might be able to positively impact our, our world but Lord I pray that you might lead us to those uh, that we can uh, minister to for you uh, we ask and we pray these things in Jesus worthy name well folks it does look like our time's up for today Thank you for joining uh, Pastor Gary, Pastor David Butcher on Drive Time, big Q&A. Please join us tomorrow when Pastor Fabiano and Pastor Brenton Wilkinson, and uh, really looking forward to uh, Brenton coming to join us. He's going to be back here in Adelaide next year. He's going to be a regular uh, presenter on our program. Uh, are going to dig more into this particular subject. Really look forward to joining you again. But until then, please remember Christ said, I'm leaving you with a gift peace of mind and heart the peace i give isn't like the peace that the world gives so don't be troubled or afraid may our god richly bless you this program has been made possible by the support of adventist world radio